Hi, I'm Janine Knudsen. And I'm Steve Liu. Today we're going to talk about the most common protein in the body. Can you guess what it is? Here's a clue that actually probably won't help anybody. Um, according to a study from 2012, it has commonality between us, bovines, equines, leperines. What's that? A leopard? Isn't it obvious, Janine? No, not really, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I, I actually had to look that up. So it's really just a fancy name for a hair. Teaching point number one, I guess. <laughs> um, so this underappreciated molecule remains by and large to the medical community kind of pointless. Unless, of course, your patient is a cirrhotic. Then it makes all the difference. So let's do the big reveal. We'll be covering, drumroll please, albumin. Our question number one is, how much albumin do you give for a patient with SBP and why? And number two, what antibiotics do you use for SBP? And number three, do you always have to use albumin? So let's go deeper into the wonderful world of albumin and see how and if it's truly useful. You're listening to Mind the Gap. I'm Janine Knudsen. And I'm Steve Liu. Today, we're going to be talking mainly about albumin. We'd like to thank Dr. Renee Williams, gastroenterologist at NYU, for peer reviewing this episode. This is a Core IM podcast supported by Clinical Correlations. In today's episode, we're going to focus on the data for the utilization of albumin in cirrhotics, specifically in spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. And so you've probably heard that you give one and a half grams per kilogram on day one and then one gram per kilogram on day three. But where do those actually strange and kind of arbitrary numbers come from? And do you always have to do that? So to give some context, remember from our last episode that people studying spontaneous bacterial peritonitis, or SBP, in the 1980s were noting incredibly high death rates. As high as 40 to 50 percent in some studies. So compare that to pneumonia. Even the worst kind of pneumonia hasn't had a case mortality rate of over 20% in the last decade. So what's the idea? Did they not know how to use cephalosporins? Third-generation cephalosporins have been around for 40 years. Let's trace to the history here. Since the 80s, we've known that using third-generation cephalosporins like cefataxime improved what are we called cure rates, which is when you repeated the tap on day three. Which, by the way, they do not recommend doing anymore. But what's interesting is that better antibiotics didn't change mortality. And other attempts to change antibiotic frequency and duration both continued to fail, showing any improvements in mortality. They tried changing the duration of treatment, increasing the dose, no luck. So by the late 90s, antibiotics are pretty much beaten to death. As it turns out, these folks weren't really dying of infections per se. The real problem was actually renal failure. So here's what happened next. A group of hepatologists at the University of Barcelona, and I'm probably going to need your help here, Janine. Okay, let me give it a shot. Yeah. Pau Sort, Vicente Arroyo, and Pierre Ginet. Thanks for the assistance. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> <laughs> These guys were clearly super interested in the kidney and the renin-aldo-angiotensin system, at least based on their publications. I, I don't really know any of these guys personally. But really, if you PubMed their names, they have dozens of articles on the kidney system and cirrhotics. And these are a bunch of hepatologists getting excited about the kidneys. It's literally the least GI organ of all time. <laughs> so, But the thing was that their patients were dying of SPP. Uh, but like I mentioned, they, they were dying of the dreaded hepatorenal syndrome. So they got together and discovered a use for GI's most beloved medication besides lactulose. And that 
turned out to be albumin. Yeah, literally nobody else likes this stuff. Yeah, the the ICU pulmonary crate care folks, they shot it down in the safe trial, and now Cochrane doesn't even recommend its use for resuscitation. Unless, of course, your patient has SVP and is a cirrhotic. So this comes from the descriptively named study, The Effects of Intravenous Albumin on Renal Impairment and Mortality in Patients with Cirrhosis and Spontaneous Bacterial Peritonitis. That's a mouthful. I know. You know how we can tell that this comes from the beginning of trial-driven evidence-based medicine? How's that, Janine? I mean, it's probably the worst title ever (laughs) of all time. Sure, it's informative, but is it easy to cite? Not at all. How many big words did they string together? (laughs) They should have figured out a way to call it the albumin trial. (laughs) Always looking big picture, huh? Just saying. That's probably why everyone calls it the sort trial. (laughs) So besides the title, what did it show? Well, it actually did show a reduction not only in renal failure, but also in that big ticket item, mortality. Okay. So what we're talking about here is absolute risk reductions of 23% in renal failure and 19% in mortality. This corresponds with numbers needed to treat a 4 and 5, respectively. Yeah, and we only found one issue with this trial, which is that it's pretty small. They only had 60 patients in each group. Okay, but their results were statistically significant, so we're going to take them at least as being somewhat positive. We finally have a therapy that's not only going to drastically reduce renal failure and mortality. And we've brought down mortality to that of pneumonia. Which I guess is good? But what about those weird doses of albumin? So this next story is completely anecdotal. So take it as you will. One time I was told by a senior hepatologist who I guess kind of sort of ran into Dr. Sort at a hepatology conference and they got to chatting about the protocol. Because it's not actually explained in the primary article why they used so much albumin. Yeah, as a reminder, they're giving 1.5 grams per kilogram to an average American male who, let's say, weighs 60 kilograms. (laughs) Actually, it's closer to 75. What? Absolutely not. I just Googled it. Okay. So so that's what? 112 grams or nine bottles of albumin? Right. And that's actually kind of a lot. Uh, And so Sort answered that they chose a really high number, mainly because they wanted to make sure they saw an effect. So you're telling me it's kind of arbitrary? To an extent, yes. I'm sure they had a physiologic reason, but medicine is also an art, isn't it? Yeah, okay. And for what it's worth, the last paragraph of their article does note that, quote, intravenous albumin is expensive. Therefore, studies should be performed to determine whether lower doses of albumin would have similar beneficial effects on renal function and survival. Were those ever done then? (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) But still, that ends up being a lot of albumin. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, Not funny, haha. More like funny, oh, I have no idea how to compare albumin and crystalloid. Yeah, there's a couple of citations we found that suggest that 5% albumin is about equivalent to four times its weight in crystalloid. To contextualize that, one unit of albumin is 12.5 grams. So that means 5% is 12.5 grams diluted into a 250cc bag, whereas 25% albumin is mixed into 50ccs. Wait, so that math... <laughs> Didn't you go to MIT, Steve? That was a long time ago. I, I need to concentrate. <laughs> okay. Okay. Help me out. <laughs> okay. Okay, let me help you out. So using that four times calculation, one unit of 5% albumin is approximately one liter of crystalloid, give or take. Well, why give or take? Because I'm not a pharmacologist, and if you really hunt down how they came up with that four times figure, they don't give any citation for that statement. 
In fact, there's a 1998 review titled Albumin, Not All It Was Cracked Up To Be, where it says without any real citation, 4.5% albumin is approximately four times as effective in expanding plasma volume as sodium-containing crystalloids. Didn't you mention the SAFE trial about ICU resuscitation? Yeah, and they admit, and I quote, Albumin and saline are not considered equipotent intravascular volume expanders, but their relative potencies have not previously been examined in an adequately powered blinded trial. So if you buy into this number, even without a citation, we have a conversion rate of one unit albumin to one liter crystalloid. Okay, so I'm going to try this here. So if that's the case, we think about a 50 kilogram person, uh, they need 75 grams of albumin. So you're giving a person that weighs barely 120 pounds, the equivalent of six liters of fluid. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, I guess in context, you give 30 cc's per kilogram here at Bellevue, and that's only one and a half liters. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> there was one last point we wanted to make. Do you always have to use albumin? In an article published in Postscript, the letter sections of the journal Gut, uh, there are some authors that suggested you don't. And yes, before you ask, this citation is actually used by the AASLD. Wait, really? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> okay. this is a group at Mount Sinai in New York. And the folks from the original trial uh, from Barcelona, they kind of collaborated here. And they went through the data and they found patients with elevated bilies, BUN or creatinine, seemed to benefit the most. Yeah, they developed a protocol to give albumin only to those with bilies greater than 4, BUN greater than 30, or creatinine greater than 1. And those are all in milligrams per deciliter. Uh, and they found that the low-risk group did well without albumin. And... Hardly anybody developed renal failure, and nobody died. And they found that the high-risk group did reasonably compared to the data seen in the SORT trial. 19% died, 15% had renal failure. But watch out, there's no control group here. So maybe we shouldn't give albumin to our less sick patients? Well, it's kind of tough, because we have a gold standard of care, and there's not likely to be any motivation for clinicians to do something potentially risky for their really sick patients. Hmm. So it's kind of an impasse then. Well, yeah, to a degree. But the key point to take away here is that albumin is useful, especially in cirrhotics. And, you know, there are actually some great articles to explain why, but there is conclusive evidence to say that at this specific dose for SBP, we have a huge benefit in terms of renal failure and mortality to our patients. And that alone is enough to say thanks to albumin, our favorite molecule. So let's recap. Number one, cephalosporins are good for SVP. Number two, preventing hepatorenal syndrome is important, and you can do it with albumin. And number three, the dose of albumin we give is random, but that's okay. Some intrepid doctor, maybe one of you guys, will be studying this in the future. No, they absolutely won't. Okay, fine, Steve. <laughs> be a downer. So we know that we went kind of quickly through the data. And arguably not as in-depth as some might like. So, as always, we want to encourage you to check out the data, too. Take a look at the links below the podcast on the Clinical Correlations website so you can take the time to judge the data for yourself. And sound smart on rounds. Super smart. Super smart. After all, this is a podcast talking about those gaps in our knowledge, because you only heard it the one time. So if you really want to feel confident on the data, take the time to pick it apart yourself. And if there are any other topics you'd like to hear discussed, please let us know. I'm Steve Liu. And I'm Janine Knudsen. And remember, mind the gap. Thanks for listening.
Disclaimer, opinions in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of NYU or other affiliated institutions. Please don't use this podcast for medical advice, but instead consult with your healthcare provider. How are you not hearing this beeping? No. But I want to take out this annoying beeping noise. So Janine has a beeping voice in her head. I think she's a robot. It's gone. It's gone? It's in the headset. It's not in the headset. <laughs> you sound like a crappy Zoolander right now. <laughs> what do you...